The Hard Shoulder. With Nissan. Number one for petrol in Ireland. Number one for electric. Nissan. Innovation that excites. This is News Talk. Now, welcome back to The Hard Shoulder with me, Susan Kyo, sitting in for Ivan Yates. Now, every Friday on the show at this time, we take a look at the stories that really got us talking over the past seven days. And joining me for this edition of The Final Furlong in studio this evening are Frank MacDonald, author, journalist and former environment editor of The Irish Times, Martin Beans Ward, comedian and writer, and Neve Horan, journalist with The Independent. Welcome along, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Martin, I want to talk to you first before we get stuck into our stories. I was very happy that you joined us here on News Talk today because I know that you uh, got some fame on Fox News this week. <laughs> Tell us News. what happened. It was absolutely crazy, actually. It was bonkers. Uh, I had just flown back from Bratislava and Budapest and I stopped to get a breakfast roll. Mm. Now, I'm not going to name the shop because these things happen. Uh, and I also don't want to be coming across as a crumbling snowflake who's going to complain about extra protein found in the baguette. But... What essentially happened was two mayflies were found in my baguette, and I shared a tweet. Now, for me, if you I see, saw it, yeah. Yeah. like they were was, embedded into the yeah, roll. They were, yeah. they were riding, cooked. is they what they cooked. were doing. <laughs> they were love making, is what they were doing. And uh, I just shared it for a bit of crack, and then all, all of a sudden, uh, Dublin Live took it up, and then from there, the Sun, the Irish Daily Mirror, the Independent. There were two articles in Brazil, Poland, Australia. You went viral. And then Fox News and, you know, Fox. When I, when I saw Fox News were interested, I was thinking, oh, great. They're going to spin this now. It's going to be like two Russian flies, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> especially during the European elections. There's something up here, you know. Um, but yeah, like I shared it and I spoke to uh, the, the shop owner and I said, look, I want nothing from this. I'm not looking for compensation. I'm not looking to even create a false. Actually, you weren't looking for compensation. I know, so a traveller not looking for compensation. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, I'm, but, you know, because I did complain a little bit, I'm now known as the world's worst traveller so that's not a great thing either when I go back to my community. Was it really obvious that it was there or did you come close to taking a bite into it? Uh, no, I always inspect my food. Do you? Absolutely. I don't, I just horse I, into it. Not at all. Like You're from the west of Ireland as well, aren't you? No, I'm not. I'm from Kildare. Oh, you see, you can tell because from the <laughs> west of Ireland, we're used to going to the bog every summer so we'd find a lot worse than a couple of flies mingling, you know, in the throes of love on a big <laughs> edge. They were on the crust in fairness and they were fairly obvious. <laughs> well, the, the, picture, the picture told the story. It depends on how hungry you are, I'd I'd say, Frank. The, the way it was picked up really is a classic example of, of clickbait driven Absolutely. Horrified traveller. Oh, yeah. I, like when they put that down, I was like, hey, you're yeah. having a dig now. Right? <laughs> you know, horrified, traumatised. You know, like, look at the size of me. I'm obese. I'm going to eat again. Don't you worry. It's not going to have an adverse effect for the rest of my life. You lived to tell the tale anyway. But do people check out the picture on Twitter if you haven't seen it. It's uh, pretty gross. Now, we want to move on to talk about something that did catch our eye and caused quite the stir this week. Comments made by the Housing Minister Owen Murphy about how co-living could help ease the housing crisis. These were comments he made at the National Housing Conference on Monday. Uh, he said that people should be have it should be um, excited by having less space um, for less less rent. So Frank, I might come to you on this first. Uh, these complexes they could house uh, 208 people in Dublin, uh, 42 residents sharing a kitchen and other facilities. Well, that, that's just one of the proposals. One of the that's proposals. All. What did but you make of what he had to say? There, there's several others, and and the government has introduced. Uh, uh, regulations um, to cover this area and it's something that we haven't had in Ireland yet. Mm. None of these uh, uh, concepts have actually been built 
And I, ju- I was taken by um, uh, the, uh, Rob Cross, who's a, uh, uh, somebody I follow on Twitter and uh, comes up with amazing stuff. He, he actually produced a, um, a, a, a thing this morning, a, an image showing the number of people who would be congregating, could possibly be congregating mm. in that single kitchen in any, at any one time. And you're talking about, you know, as somebody said, an expensive crowded hostel, an incubator for disease and resentment. Oh, give me a break. Can I come in here? Yes. Because as a young person who <clears throat> doesn't, you know, who's looking to get on the property market, who finds it difficult to get somewhere, I find it difficult to listen to people like Frank who are older and sorted and, and you know what I mean? Looking I'm as concerned people, about the housing crisis in Dublin no, as you but are. Frank, but you're not, you'd actually have no even skin in the game. And like, I see this and, and in fairness, I'm going to defend Owen Murphy here, right? He used a control word like excited, yeah? And I actually do think some people will be will be excited about this. Do you think he got unnecessary stick for 100%. it? Hundred percent. There was hysteria around it. He was talking about a small portion of the market that this will be good for, probably about one percent. But it is a niche market, and it's the young, smart, well-educated people who are working for the likes of Amazon or Facebook or Google, the type that I would share have sharing my apartment with over the last couple mm. of years, who would want to live somewhere like this. And it's not a disease-ridden hostel. If you've seen the pictures and if you see how successful they've been around the world, they're incredible. They are like literally upmarket hotels. But would and you want to live there? Yeah, I, I w- I'll tell you what. I looked at the, there was this hysteria around how they're smaller than uh, the bedroom. Disabled parking. Disabled parking. So Spot. what I did was write four metres and I went to the bedroom that I've stayed in for the last six years and my bedroom is four metres by four metres and I have enough for a big wardrobe, I have enough for a table, I have enough for two sets of doors and a big bed. Well, you don't meet 40 people when you go in to make your breakfast in the morning. But I will tell you what they would have as well, which I don't have in my bedroom, is an ensuite bathroom bathroom. I share my bathroom and the shower and the toilet with two other people. So there's three sharing the one. I would have my own ensuite bathroom if I lived there. And yeah, it would be Neve, like could, living could I, could in make, a luxury could, yeah, hotel. Can I, can I, because what they don't realise is you think, oh, it's going to be uh, one cooking space and one sink for 40 people. It's not. They will build it to fit that size, uh, that, that, that amount of people. In the same way, when you go down and you stay in a hotel and you want to have your breakfast, you're in a restaurant built to fit that many people. And on top, and so you're talking about 40 people. In London there's the world's largest co- uh, co-living development. It's called the Collective Old Oak Common and if you see it it's absolutely stunning. There's 550 people living there and they have everything from restaurant to gym to cinema to spa to laundrette all on their doorstep. So you're talking about, and this co-living boom has been inspired by millennials. So you're talking about, you know, people who kind of want things at their fingertips. They want things close at hand and they're willing to sacrifice other things for that. It would literally be like living in an upmarket hotel. But, you're, but, and, but, but, but I mean, this is, it, 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 as housing goes, yeah. it is unquestionably substandard. And the Fianna Fáil leader, Michal Martin, but described Frank, it. Hold on a second now. Can I go on, please? Yeah. You've had a good run at it. <laughs> Speaking outside Leinster House yesterday, I think it was, Fianna Fáil leader Michal Martin said co-living initiatives should be seen, could be seen as battery cage type accommodation. And he said, are we going back to the era of tenements again in Dublin? If, see, this is the and thing the truth, that I and can't... The truth, and hold Frank, on a second. Now, can I, can like I, let him, let him can finish, I, Can though. I continue? Yeah. You know, what is, you know, it, it would be reasonable, perhaps, mm-hmm. if the rents that are being charged or being proposed are reasonable. They are not. They're very they're expensive. About 1,300 euro. 1,300 euro per month. But you know for why? A room, hold on. For a room that is 16.5 square metres. And that actually you're not even going to be a tenant. You're going to be a licensee. 
In other words, you will have no rights under landlord and tenant but law. But you're what not a tenant right, in a hotel on, for how, however length you stay yeah. there either, so and you get so by it's okay. A, so it's essentially a hostel. Martin, what will be your take okay, on look, it? Okay, look, my only question is, what? what okay, if we're looking at a, a certain segment of society, millennials, as was mentioned, so then obviously you're looking at a certain segment of the demographic that can actually afford €1,300 per month. What is that doing then to alleviate the stresses within the homeless crisis? And I, I mean this like with, with a huge amount of respect. I totally understand where Neve is coming from. Uh, our generation, it's very difficult now to get on the property ladder. What is needed in Dublin and throughout Ireland is to build a large amount of social and affordable housing. And unfortunately, this government is in bed with the people who are making money out of the housing emergency. And that includes, uh, whether you're talking about um, HAP, uh, housing assistance payments Mm. to landlords, uh, whether you're talking about property developers being allowed to build whatever they like, basically wherever they like, uh, the profusion of student housing that has appeared in Dublin, uh, all sorts of other things are being built rather than what is actually needed. And the only way that we can resolve the housing emergency is by providing people with affordable housing. And we have failed to do that. And instead, what we're doing is, or what they're doing, is they're putting forward substandard solutions, which may suit some people like Neve, but are not, generally speaking, proper class of housing. But uh, Frank, I totally agree with you that they need to build more and that's the biggest thing they need to do. But <laughs> well, you let, have to say there's like... get on with that? But you have to say though there is 1% of niche market who will be be, be helped by this. But should and we that be, means should we be focusing it, on a niche yeah, market Yeah, if it though, is going to be only 1%. This is a widespread that's, issue. But that's all he was saying and he got hammered this week because yeah, of it. He, the, the, Owen, Owen Murphy has been the worst minister in charge of housing and planning in the history of the state. And I think if he had any decency at all, he would resign. Uh, Martin, let me just bring you in finally, just because you didn't get much of a run there. In terms of housing, it's not just an issue for the general public. Travellers have a massive housing problem. It's a a whole other problem on a whole other scale, I'd propose. It's it's huge. Uh, I'm not sure what the figures are. I think is it 11% or something like that. Uh, but it's quite high. It's quite high for the, the travelling community, uh, and it's 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 made uh, a lot worse when certain areas are, uh, I suppose, refusing planning mm. permission for halting sites, um, which which would account for you know a large number of of um, bays for accommodation. But again, why should we be why why should we be looking for solutions for the one percent? I'm not saying we shouldn't look for solutions for the one percent. But when we have... It's an assumed 1%. Well, well okay, but, but what I'm trying to say is it's, it's such a widespread issue. We have thousands of houses across the country <laughs> going to waste. Thousands of, of, of houses, hundreds of housing estates. But they're not in the right areas. That's the thing. Uh, well, like you know what? When, well, okay, that's fair enough. But have we even looked at that as a possible solution? Because if you're, if you're uh, homeless, you know, it's nice to get the offer. If you've got housing estates across the country, why are they going to waste? Who is that going to benefit? Look, I, I don't think that uh, millennials are the issue here. If, the, if people are willing to live in that type of accommodation, that's great. But where's the longevity in all of that? that is a sh- it's a short-term solution that is only going to have more issues arise as time goes on. 
And what happens then when the millennials want to have a pet? We've had this conversation before, Neve. when the, we, that millennials are now more inclined to want to have a pet because they're having the time or the money to have a kid. Well, what if somebody wants to have a partner or Absolutely. a child or a family? Yes. Like but this that's more and more people are single. There's a growing demographic of single people who now want places like the co-living that, you know what I mean, they don't have a husband or a wife or kids. To be family, fair, they don't want to be fair, what's the longevity? In even, even in what you just but said there, to be I'm single, s- yeah. that is not the aim no, of the person. No, but what I'm though. saying is that's a stepping stone on the way to, to going on the property ladder. So and all like I'm a, saying you, is, Frank, is that that will take up some of the people who are out there looking for properties at the moment. And it's very difficult for a young person who's trying to save money, trying to get a deposit together to, to be able to get on the property market. And everything that comes out, people are just bashing away and saying, no, 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 that's, that's another s- solution to the, the... And I do agree that, that the government need to build, build houses and they're not doing it and they haven't been doing it for years. The millennials but, should get a caravan, to be honest with you. So your defence of Owen Murphy this week is it just in relation to the fact that he used the wrong word? You're not defending in general his record in terms of what he has done with housing? I think that he, I, I'm defending him this week against the hysteria. I think that he's done, um, uh, he's um, in, the, in terms of the co-living situation, I agree that it will actually help a small part of the market, absolutely. And, and so I, I mean but should we be focusing on the small part or should we look at the overall it's just another it's just another okay, answer but when we, we talk about millennials though and we talk about 1,300 euro per month rent we are talking about a certain it, you know level of economic that? freedom do you know why it is that even though I couldn't afford that because some people can and the market decides that and if, if somebody's willing the to pay for that the market decides everything really. yeah, and, and the mar- it's the market that's involved in slicing and dicing housing that is what's going on ok we're going to have to leave it there for one moment my final furlong panellists are staying with me but first we're going to take a check on the latest news headlines. Now, welcome back to The Hard Shoulder with me, Susan Kill, sitting in for Ivan Yates this evening. I'm here with my panellists for the final furlong this Friday. Frank MacDonald, Martin Beans-Ward and Neve Horan are with me. Now, we wanted to move on to talk about another story that was around this week that caught my eye. And Eva, I might come to you on this yeah. first. Uh, Will we lighten it up? <laughs> yes, let's. <laughs> let's all to. make friends. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk a little bit about snowflakes and we're going to talk about our addiction to our phones and how maybe sunglasses is the answer for people who can't cope with the blue light. Tell me first, mm-hmm. this story really is more about how addicted we all are to technology. How addicted are you to your phone? Oh, God, I need it all You're the like me, though. It's your business. It's yeah. what you do. Everything I think when you're a journalist, it. everything's on it and yeah. you're constantly keeping an eye on things. So it's really hard to take a step back from a yeah. business. Well, I've, I've quit social media now. I just couldn't stand that. Have you? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to be on Twitter. All forms. I have to be on Twitter for work, but uh, Instagram, Facebook, just not interest anymore. And I think more and more people are going like that. I'm yeah. like, nobody needs to see what I'm having for breakfast in the morning. <laughs> Nobody needs to see if I do a gym session, and That's I don't need to see. That's interesting. When did you start doing that? Other people photoshopping their, you know yeah. what I mean. It's just so. And then, yeah, I just stopped doing it in the last couple of months. And, and have then, you noticed a difference in the way you feel? Massive, massive, really? massive. And then the other thing I've stopped doing is looking at my phone at news in the middle of the night because what happens is I get up to go to the bathroom or something, you, you come check. back, start looking at my phone, and then I can't get back to sleep. And I've started. I've stopped looking at it before I go to bed, so I read. And I'm gone like a light. And if I wake up in the middle of the night where I would have been awake for a long time um, because on my phone, now I just read a page or two and I'm back in the land of Nod in no time. So, so that's really but big I difference tell for you. read books because it slows down your mind for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Martin, this story, what did you make of it um, in relation to uh, having to wear glasses because of the harm, I guess, the I blue light is, is doing? Yeah, well, no, there is there is definitely evidence behind the blue light and what it does to you. Mm. Um, for, for one, it, it messes with your circadian rhythm and it messes with the cortisol levels. Because if, if, if your mind is constantly in that state of flux of, you know, fight or flight because, you know, it thinks that you're just after waking up because of this type of light, 
it does mess with your melatonin levels, which in turn then does mess with your sleep. And it's it's a proven that uh, co- high cortisol levels is is linked to obesity, diabetes, heart disease, um, and anxiety, increased anxiety. And I think it's it's by no coincidence that we're seeing a lot more people moving away from social mm. media because there is that heightened anxiety. And sometimes we can't even place where it's coming from. And I totally get what you mean by the way, waking up for a pee and then, you mm. know, you might get a quick message or something like that. Or you, you might just up, see a notification, like a push notification if something happens. So like, stupid, you, just, yeah. you just stop being able to sit with yourself. And it's that, that triad, irritable, restless discontent. And you don't even know what it is. You just don't have something in your hand, you know. And I just think social media, all of that for self-esteem, for to feel calm, to mm. feel like you know what I mean, a bit at ease. Well, for, yourself, for me, just step um, away from it. I, I started, I started putting up uh, kind of sketch videos onto my Facebook page, uh, maybe a year ago, and I get quite a lot of comments and things like that. And sometimes you have to look through them because you know people might say something racist towards some other part of the of society or something sexist, and you'd be kind of trying to police it to the best of your ability. However, it does take over your life, and I had to pull away from that a little bit, and I found that my sleeping pattern was non-existent. Uh, I had to get the blue light filter, which you can, anyone can get that for free on their phone. It it cancels out the blue light, and it stops you from from kind of oh, getting that's that. That's a great idea. It's a fantastic idea. Yeah. And it actually, I've it never actually heard does of that work. Before, actually, that's well, a I really took, good idea. I took, I'm going to look into that today. You should actually. It's, yeah. it's, it's it's a free app that you can download now because mine got so drastic, and I I felt now I've been quite outspoken about my own anxiety levels throughout my life, so it's not a good thing for me to have a lack of sleep for whatever reason. So I went to my doctor to find out and I wouldn't take sleeping tablets. I, I just, I'm, I'm totally against kind of that type of medication. But then I was told about something called melatonin, which I found out that you can actually buy over the counter in most other countries apart from Ireland. And within two or three days, my sleeping pattern had returned to normal. And with that, alongside with the blue light filter, I, I, I don't I don't get those adverse Effects anymore, and uh, like I've, I've, I, well, the, uh, I keep social media used to to a healthy level now as well. Yeah, you know, well, that so. way, if you get a good night's sleep, and you're used everything. to not getting a good night's sleep, or you've suffered from sleep deprivation, in that way, it can it'll change everything because you know the minute you're tired or lacking in sleep it's when everything becomes you know such a mass, massive issue Frank do you think it's a generational thing in terms of I think it is probably, you know yes. kind of younger people yes. are just growing yeah, up with I, the phone I mean, attached I to, to their I, hand I have to admit that you know I have a, a, a television in the ro- in the bedroom okay. and that is something that um, I, I think I would miss enormously if you know like catching the last bit of news at one o'clock or you know, the review of the papers on, on Sky News, at usually at half 11 or, or half 12 or whatever. Um, but that, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, as the study itself has pointed out, that light from these kind of screens, whether they're TV screens or the screen on your phone, um, it can stop the release of, of sleep-inducing melatonin, as you said, you know, um, and that massively affects the body clock. And it isn't just that, you know, sleep loss and there's all sorts of studies now to say that there's a, there's a sleep loss epidemic mm. in the Western world and perhaps throughout the whole world, really. Uh, and, you know, not only is it associated with increased risk of obesity, diabetes and heart disease, but also dementia and Alzheimer's. And that is something that I mean, I'm 69 now and that is something that would worry me more than anything else. And it would be. I'm going to I'm going to have to argue with myself, if you like, 
to try and uh, to overcome this to problem overcome of that. having the TV so screen the, in the bedroom. You have the TV on, but I, I'd say the TV on is probably a lot less problematic than, you know, sort of phone light, in the hand it? all the time. You know, and I, then I wouldn't, uh, I, I've never taken my phone to bed. Really? Me, so do you ne- leave it downstairs? Never. Oh, I leave it in, in the study, yeah. Really? Sure, oh, I'd have a panic attack. Oh, I'd, yeah. have my, <laughs> I'd have to have my phone <laughs> no, beside I have it. I wouldn't have it. No. <laughs> I'd have a panic attack Or if I did, it would be on silent. Okay. Because one of the worst things of all is sometimes you get a phone call from News Talk Breakfast. Oh, they're uh, terrible. Coming up to seven o'clock in the morning. My Wait, God. lights start ringing you at six Who'd o'clock on a awake? Saturday morning. Who'd want to be woken up by that? <laughs> now, another story uh, that also caught my eye uh, this week was in relation to um, how cold we are and how our gender can sometimes determine how cold or hot we are and where all that sits in terms of the workplace. Neve, tell us a bit of the detail on this study um, if people haven't heard it this week. That's right. They have um, discovered that women perform better with warmer temperatures mm. and they're uh, they're able to perform better in, you know, am I right in saying? Um, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, cognitive tasks. Yes, exactly, yeah. Compared to men where, who perform better in colder temperatures. But this has confirmed something I've known for years is that air conditioning is <laughs> air conditioning is sexist and I've said this so many times in my office because they've shown this that well, the, use, um, the use of air conditioning let's not lump all air conditioners no, no, into this now no, they <laughs> are. Office, office thermostats are generally set according to the met, met, uh, metabolism of a 40 year old man, man yeah. who weighs 11 stone which is several degrees lower than it would be for an average woman so um, that's why what, what is the, what is the, the average temperature I, in an office? Yeah. Um, well, um, w- women feel more comfortable at 24, 25 degrees. That's room temperature. Which is 2.5% higher than a man's ideal temperature. So it would usually be about 2.5 um, degrees lower than what a woman would feel comfortable And you will at. often hear women in the workplace say they're cold. Do you uh, notice that I'm, if you I'm work in an on, open plan yeah. out here, you walk this office here, you'll see always women, but they'll have like, you know, like a big scarf around them mm-hmm. or some, sometimes a cardigan because... I think we do just feel cold and these studios even when I'd walk into a studio I'm always like oh it's really cold in here I'll always be the first person and to say that. And it's not just office it's every area of life if you've ever had a shower with a member of the opposite sex if you've ever shared a bed with a member of the opposite sex men prefer colder women prefer warmer it's like the ultimate lover's conundrum you know. <laughs> <laughs> Martin what did you make of the story? Uh, well <laughs> um Yes. <laughs> no, I, I look, to be honest with you, haven't we, got, haven't we got bigger things to be worrying about, really? No, but it, it's a really good point because when you look at this, we actually live in a man's world and it's not mm. just uh, thermostats that show us that. There's loads of studies out there about how everything from technology, like the iPhone is made for a man's hand, like they're generally too big for a woman's hand. They say that it, and it's not just being cold, it could put your life at risk, like bulletproof vests are made for men, they're not made for women. Um, you know, crash test dummies are made in men's size they're not made in women's size so when they're doing tests on vehicles like we do live in a man's world and it has lots of different effects. No I totally agree uh, with you I, I, I totally agree with that point um, but when we're talking two degrees Celsius in the difference as a differentiating factor Oh you notice it Oh you notice <laughs> you it, no, it is, <laughs> Well I tell you I tell you what uh, I'm overweight so if it was at room temperature I'm sweating by the time I walk in that door you know um, but okay and here's here's the but thing. But I think Neve did point out that it was uh, the standard measurement was uh, forty a man aged forty uh, weighing eleven stone. And eleven stone. And it's uh, so funny when I say I'm cold in my office. When I say when I say I'm cold in my office, so the men say, put, put on, on some weight rather than we'll, we'll turn down, rather than we'll turn down. Well, well, I know you're going to say put on a cardigan. I didn't mean. Here's the upshot of that. I did, like they, that's I did a bit of extra reading um, for my sins around this. And it acted, there are other um, bits of research come back to 2013 uh, that shows that there is no actual adverse reaction in cognitive um, 
I suppose Ability abilities yeah. and things like that for men if we do go to room temperature so there's actually no negative effect for a man if it does go as far as room temperature whereas so, there is a negative effect absolutely. if we have to so, stay in the cold so, so if, 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 one, if one person or if, if one segment of, of I suppose the demographic within an office area is feeling cold and, it, and there isn't a negative reaction for men I don't see why we shouldn't bump it up then well, Frank, no, the, what you know, you the, real, the, real, the real importance of this study it seems to me is that as they, the authors say, our findings suggest that, that gender-mixed workplaces may be able to increase productivity by setting the thermostat at a higher level than the current standard. Uh, because, of course, there are so many women now in the workplace. Uh, in some offices, it would be a majority even. Um, and so, the, so it, it seems to me that this is going to pose a bit of a challenge for the, you know, the heating, ventilation and air conditioning industry um, you know, to produce um, uh, a, a an office environment, if you like, that's conducive to getting more productivity by, by setting the thermostat at such a level that women will work harder than they perhaps would at the moment be, if they're cold or if they need to put on a cardigan. Mm. I don't think say, it's about the work rate, though. I think it's a Oh, no, no, but this is very clear. It says, it says <laughs> maybe a, mixed workplaces may be able to increase productivity by setting the thermostat higher. In other words, but that's the idea is, that's the idea not really is the work that the women, the women will benefit from that and the men <clears throat> will hardly notice. Exactly. They won't notice. That's well, the, the, the thing. The, the point I was just trying to make there was, because you're, you're right when it says about productivity, but... It's not to say that the women aren't putting in the same amount of effort because I've read other research that says that they are, but because of cognitive abilities are kind of lessened, um, that it, you're more prone to making mistakes. Now, in the same piece of research, it said that as much as temperature, uh, lighting is a huge issue in office spaces, that artificial light also messes with your circadian rhythm and it also takes away a lot of your energy. And a lot of people are usually zapped by the time it comes to the end of the day and then they're usually not able to have any kind of, um, I suppose, ability to function with their family or friends then in a social setting afterwards. So that might be another area that we need to look at. Neve, the other example, and you would um, empathise with me on this, toilets. Like, we live in a man's world when it comes to toilets in the sense that, you know, they, in any establishment they'll build two, mm. two blocks. So, like, there's the same space for the women's toilets and the same space for the men's toilet, except when you walk into a man's toilet, there could be five or six urinals and then there could be four or five cubicles, whereas there's only three cubicles in the women's toilets, which means that's why you see really long queues of women outside toilets all the time at concerts, at events, at any sort of thing where there's a lot of people. So true. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If women built all these buildings, we'd have like rows and rows of bat toilets and mirrors and everything to do your makeup. And we just... <laughs> but well, it is. It's I mean, true. Obviously, there should be the same number of cubicles in a women's toilet. And urinals. Uh, no. Well, uh, now, come on. Don't, <laughs> what, don't, Frank? Don't exaggerate. Get with the times, Frank. No, there should be the same number of cubicles in a women's toilet in an office building or at concerts or whatever as there are cubicles and toilets in the men's. Okay, so if there's three cubicles and three urinals in the toilets out here, there should be six cubicles then in the the women's. No, I would say more because women just spend longer in the bathroom and kind Ah, of, you know. If you're at a concert or whatever, you want to get back to your Yeah, men are in and out and, you know. (laughs) Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. My thanks to the panel for coming in to me on the hard shoulder this evening. Frank MacDonald, Martin Beans, Ward and Neve Horan. Thanks to you all for joining us this evening. That's your lot from the hard shoulder for this week. Big thanks to the production team, Mark Simpson, Ash 
Rushing Moore, Dan Flanagan, Alex Russo and Roisin Davis. Off the Ball is up next. I'll be back at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning for News Talk special election coverage. I'll be taking a first look at the exit polls and then Ivan will be on after me at 9 o'clock. Don't forget to vote. Polling stations are open until 10 o'clock tonight. Do tune in in the morning. But until then, thanks to my guests for joining me today. To you for listening and have a good weekend. 